0: Welcome to Icons in the Making. I'm your host, Heather Stern, CMO at Lippincott, the creative consultancy behind some of the world's best brands. Join me as I sit down with the leaders of today's most influential brands. You'll hear stories of transformation and walk away with a new perspective on what it means to be an icon. This is Icons in the Making. Creative breakthroughs are often the result of taking bold risks. No one knows this better than today's guest, Fernando Machado, who is one of the world's most celebrated envelope-pushing marketers. From brand guru at Unilever, to global CMO at Burger King, to CMO at Restaurant Brands International, to CMO at Activision Blizzard, Fernando has built a career driving cultural relevance and business growth for some of the world's best brands, all centered on the belief that creativity creates competitive advantage. Now, he's taking on perhaps his boldest role yet as CMO of NotCo, a Chilean-based startup that uses AI-powered technology to develop plant-based foods. I am so excited to sit down with this brand genius to talk about his remarkable career and his thoughts and predictions on creativity, purpose, sustainability, AI, and a bunch of other cool stuff. Welcome, Fernando. It's so good to see you.
1: Thanks for having me, and thanks for the kind words.
0: Yes, well, you know, lots have been said about you and all of the incredible things that you've done for the industry, and it seems like you just keep pivoting. Lots of topics I want to cover, doves, real beauty sketches, Burger King and your time there, Call of Duty, Vanguard, but I really want to start with NotCo and Giuseppe, so tell me. Tell me about NotCo and the role.
1: Yes. So look, I always try to put myself in a position that I'm learning a lot throughout my whole career. That has been always the approach. I think it's something that I was raised with that mindset. My dad used to always say that knowledge is the most important thing that you can ever get. And whether it was Unilever or Activision or Burger King, RBI, you know, I was really like Making career choices that would put me on that position to have like a steep learning curve And my moves have been pretty much driven by that too You know, where can I have this steepest like a uh, learning curve I always worked thinking that I had a startup mindset But what the hell did I know? <laughs> I never worked in a startup before yeah. But I was always trying to Move fast, break things, and, and learn by doing and cut the bureaucracy a bit, no matter how big or small uh, the place I was working in was. And I always had this idea of like working on a startup at some point. I think like I'm on a level of seniority today that I can have a much bigger impact than just marketing. And Nautical was a, a company I was eyeing for quite some time, you know, like from the time I was at Burger King, this is like maybe like three, four years ago. I think it's like actually pre-pandemic. First time I've heard about then was in a conversation with Yuri, who was the president for Burger King Brazil. And he came to me and said, hey, you should take a look at these guys. They have a pretty cool like mindset about how they they do things like their products I call not, like not mayo, not milk, not burger. And they use AI to create the products that they develop. Back then AI was not as hot as it is today. Yes it sounded really cool i'm a big of a geek myself so it sounded really cool to to, to see what they were up to and i started to follow notco in social seeing like what matias who is the co-founder and ceo was posting the stuff that they were doing and i built a relationship with Matthias because of that mm. i think that the first time we spoke it was because i made a comment on something that he posted on linkedin wow. and that triggered sparked our, our conversation like on the behind the scenes this is years ago and then the conversation evolved like towards like end of last year, beginning of this year. And I was not planning to leave Activision, please, necessarily. I was there for two years, which is a short tenure uh, in my mind. But I felt it was one of those opportunities that you cannot let go. You know, like I felt I had a, a really good conversation with a friend who told me like, hey, how you feel like if you leave Activision and they do well. I was like, well, I think that they will do well no matter what. Like yeah. they have great games and great people. And then he asked me like, how you feel if you don't go to Nautico when they do well? I was like, mm, I will feel really bad about yeah. that. So I decided to take the leap of faith and join the company that was officially like early April of this year. And so far so good, it has been a fun ride. It's amazing a group of people, amazing technology, which is something that I really appreciate and like. In a brand that's not afraid of, like, doing bold things. So I'm super excited about the opportunity.
0: Tell me a little bit more about the technology. And, you know, we now, as you say, talk about AI, it seems like, all the time. But kind of deconstruct how AI is used to create these plant-based
1: technologies. So to me, AI at its best is used to augment humans' abilities. Mm -hmm. You know, it's never AI by itself. I see it as a tool. And I think that that's how we see it. So we have a really strong AI team, like one of the co-founders is the AI guy, let's mm. put it that way, that's Karin, And he has a very strong team underneath him with Adit and lots of very talented people. And we created this AI, which we named Giuseppe. It's named after that painter Giuseppe Arcimboldo from like mid 1500s, that used to do these portraits with fruits and vegetables. Mm. You probably saw mm-hmm. one at some point. So it's basically like creating art with plants. So that's why the AI is called Giuseppe. And the way we do things today, and the reason why I'm saying today, is we take like an animal-derived product, we do a whole analysis on that product, chromatography, physical properties, all sorts of things to create almost like this DNA or a snapshot of what the product is. We feed that into Giuseppe, and then Giuseppe... Proposes like four or five recipes that could match that target. Mm. Then the chefs take those recipes, prepare the product, try the product, and give feedback to Giuseppe. And then Giuseppe proposes. Giuseppe get
0: mad when when people don't like what no, he creates. No, he's, he's,
1: he's pretty chill. <laughs> he's chill. Um, okay. Yeah, and and he experiments a lot. He does different experiments, and sometimes the variables are very far from mm-hmm. each other. Some of the ingredients that Giuseppe proposes are unconventional, uh, I would say. And with the feedback of the chefs and our R&D team, the AI basically like converges to a superior formulation. The beauty of the products that we have is that, for instance, our milk, which we call not milk, it's not like a single ingredient product. I always uh, d- drunk plant-based milk, but mm-hmm. like you have to choose oat milk or almond. And there are positives and negatives about that when you are stuck with one ingredient, mm. whether that is like the nutrition profile that you can get or the physical properties that you can get, usually oat and almond, they don't form really well. Like, I don't know if you drink a uh, plant-based milk, but like try to make a cappuccino and take a look at the difference between how a cow's milk forms and, and that. We are not limited by that. So our nut milk has cabbage, pineapple, coconut, which are maybe ingredients that one would not think about adding to that type of formulation, but because we use AI and because we have this interactive process, we end up like getting a superior formulation with ingredients that may not be what a human would recommend right. at first. Our not chicken has strawberry on the formulation. You know what I mean? Like uh, if you came to me and said, Fernando, how would you formulate a plant-based chicken? You probably I would probably not strawberry. recommend <laughs> strawberry. <laughs> yes. And the thing that excites me the most is like what's yet to come, hmm. you know, because the more we play with Giuseppe, the more we learn about the tool, the more the tool gets better mm-hmm. at what it does. Not only the cycles to develop a product get very much shorter. I think that the first one of the first products we developed, which was not Mayo, took 18 months, which is relatively short. The one of the latest ones we developed, which was the custard and the shake that we have, the plant-based custard plant-based shake that we have on Shake Shack, it took us like three weeks wow. uh, to develop. You know what I mean? Like So the tool gets faster and the tool gets better. Matching the animal target is something that was imposed by us or the industry. It doesn't have to be that way. We can create plant-based food that actually goes beyond and has either like a unique taste that you never experienced before, or has a nutritional profile Mm -hmm. that's better than the animal target or a better cost like we can optimize to anything so many different variables so that's what has me the most excited yeah you know what i mean like this next frontier it's almost like products that will have to be an elevated product either through the functional properties or nutrition or Taste, and it's almost like it happens to be plant-based. Yes. That's not the main point, you know what I mean? And we can do that today. We have the technology to do it.
0: It's amazing. And, you know, the idea of continually learning and taking new opportunities to do that, in a way, if you look back, your experiences at Unilever and at Burger King and then even at Activision, it feels like it's kind of yep. all come together for this new role. You, you're, you're pre-IPO, there's a lot of excitement around what the the business could do for the industry what is the vision for the role and as you said you see it as more than just marketing so what are your goals and how has it been going since you got there
1: look i mean i think that since i became cmo for burger king and then rbi a couple of years ago and looking at the other cmos in the industry that i admire they do more than just like the classic Four Ps or like mm-hmm. the, the, being like just the CMO role, you know. At RBI, I had the opportunity to get involved with GNI, ESG, and I felt that both the COO, the CFO, and myself, we were kind of like I don't know, it's three of three people. Like we were kind of the right hand arm mm-hmm. uh, of the CEO, mm-hmm. you know. Moving to Activision Blizzard, I also try to. Have that influence. I was executive sponsor of the Latinx Network. I was involved with the ESG, especially like how we report ESG. And coming to Notco, it's a startup, right? So we we are only 400, 450 people. The leadership team is relatively small, Mm -hmm. and you end up like dipping your your toes or your finger on everything. You know what I mean? Like, so we work very collaborative and close together. Terry, who is our legal counsel. Taylor, who is our CFO. Jose, who is our COO. Matthias who is our co-founder, CEO. Karin, Adit, Lou, who is my head of marketing. It's really like one team, Mm -hmm. you know? There is not much of like layers and global structures regional structures local structures you have ownership of that business and you have uh, accountability and responsibility for the destiny of that business if we don't do the the right thing for the business beyond just marketing or finance or this or that it doesn't move yeah you know what i mean like so and you're right i think that every job that i did Like when I when I moved from I was 18 years with Unilever, right? It was an amazing marketing school, great people. Like I still still have like loads of good friends, Mm -hmm. uh, and I still cheer for Dove and for the brands there on the sidelines. And it never felt that long because I was moving counters, moving brands. But there was a point in time where I started to feel like, oh, I need to try something different, you know. And going to QSR fast food. In the beginning, it was just Burger King. It felt like a great step because it's a completely different culture. Mm-hmm. RPI, 3G from Unilever, completely different like business model, franchisees that I had to influence. I didn't have to do that like while I was at Unilever. A space, right? The restaurant, yes. I didn't have a space. Right. I was selling to Walmart and yes. Walgreens and CVS. I didn't control that. So I, it was a lot of learning a little bit over seven years there, and then I felt, oh, I need to do something digital. You know what I mean? Like a purely digital. digital. I did like digital transformation at RBI. We launched mobile order and payment delivery, loyalty, all those things. Yeah, I did a lot of work there, but it was not digitally native. I love video games. And so it felt like, right, you know, like it's digital, it's something that I like, it's a, a amazing brands on Activision Blizzard. And then a startup, yes. you know, which was like the missing piece on the puzzle. You know, I always try to do things that will build on what I've done before. Notco has loads of partnerships with fast food restaurants, whether it's Burger King, Domino's, Starbucks, Shake Shack in the U.S. So many, you know, like it is important. I, I know. That side of life. Oh, we also sell to retailers. Yes, I was in CPG for 18 years. Oh, by the way, e-commerce is really important because our consumer over-index on e-commerce. Oh, great, because I just came (laughs) from doing a job that was digitally native. So it all comes together, as you said.
0: So when you come back as a guest in a year or two, you're going to be, you know, somewhere in space doing something (laughs) totally different, drawing on all these experiences. But for now, we'll, we'll stay down here on earth. One of the things we talked about initially was the power of creativity and how it surprises you how sometimes we have to continue to prove the business value. Obviously, marketing and brand go well beyond communications, but communications are an amazing way to create an emotional connection. And I think you are the most awarded marketer in terms of literally hundreds and hundreds of awards of the campaigns that you've developed. Tell me about one or two that just, stick with you and you're most proud of? I mean, I know it's it's like hard to yeah. pick amongst your children, but what would you say?
1: Like, look, I mean, I'm, I think it's funny that you still need to make the case for creativity, but yes. we still have to for some reason. I think in life, like anything that's creative is better than something that's not creative. Yes. And I think people tend to agree with that. Yes. I think that where, where people struggle is that something that's creative, usually is something that's new right? And something that's new leads to a bit of uncertainty in the system. And uncertainty triggers fear, Mm -hmm. which is just like an automatic reaction, uh, like it's a defensive mechanism towards uncertainty, towards like you prefer to do what's tried and tested and and, and trusted, but that's not how it works, you know? So I think that's where people get stuck Mm -hmm. a little bit or when people believe or try to think, that marketing should be this black box that you know exactly how many coins you put on this side and you you can predict it's precisely how many coins end, you, yes. and, and you can predict to some extent, but especially if you're doing new things, it becomes harder because you are breaking the model, right? I'm totally up for trying to measure everything, but I'm also mindful that sometimes you cannot measure absolutely everything. But anyway, like going back to your question, I think I was fortunate enough to work with some amazing people and some amazing creative partners throughout my whole career. I grew up in Unilever looking up at people who were doing absolutely insane creative work, whether that was Simon Clift or Steve Miles, who was my boss when I was on Dove and when I was on Vaseline. There were so many people doing great creative work and uh, it is never a one-person show. You know, mm-hmm. I think I've learned a tone because I was surrounded by great people. Uh, I would say that if you if you force me to pick like one campaign for each of the brands, yes, like I, I would probably pick the real beauty sketches, which we did around 2012, 2013.
0: It was so disruptive and it caused I mean, I remember seeing it and studying it and just this amazing idea but go ahead
1: yeah it it was like the first time we were doing lots of great things on dove yes everything got completely under the shadow of sketches because sketches was this nuclear thing i was in london i was living in london and anywhere you go you went people would be talking about the campaign it was insane and it was the first time that i experienced that to do something that became a global topic of conversation. Mm -hmm. Every single country in the world was talking about that. It was on TV, the news, on the internet, like it took over mass media. And again, like an amazing team, you know what I mean? Like Steve Myers was my boss, was leading of NI and the media team for Unilever and the agency team from Ogrevy, Sao Paulo, Hugo, Diego, Beto, Anselmo, like Veronica on the who produ- was the producer, John Kerry, who shot the, the campaign. It was really like a bunch of like very talented people working very hard, working together. And one of those moments where all the stars align, Mm -hmm. you know, and you create something that's really special. So that's a, a really big one.
0: Did you have to fight to kind of get that idea through?
1: No, because of Steve. Yeah. Steve was also, I think that we are different and similar in many aspects, but he was also like someone who was constantly fighting in and he was much more senior than I was, like constantly fighting in to do things differently, to kill the bureaucracy, to just, just do it. And we did almost like completely under the radar. We only revealed the thing <laughs> when it was ready. Right. Um, and then it was about convincing countries and markets to, to jump in. Mm-hmm. And we had a lot of support from Paul Pullman, who was the CEO. We had support from the CMO. Everyone who saw the campaign, after it was ready, got behind it. Yes. You know? So, really, like, a, it's a it's a team sport. Yes. You know, it was lots of people involved. Mark Matteo who provided support. I could go on and on and on with everyone who was involved on that one. On Burger King, I think we did a bunch yeah. of cool things. Whether it's Mac Whopper, Burning Stores, Whopper De Tour, Moji Whopper.
0: Moji Whopper, I think, is just such yeah. a... It's almost this idea that feels incongruent with what you think you yes. should do, and yet there's such a beautiful story behind it. Tell me tell me about that one.
1: Yeah, so like we were working for like five years to remove ingredients from artificial sources from the food. You know, it was not easy at all mm-hmm. uh, to do the work because every time we remove an artificial ingredient, it has an impact on taste. And no one is willing to compromise on taste. I mean, consumers. Every time you remove an ingredient that's artificial, it may have an impact on shelf life of the product. It may have have an impact on on operations, like mayo, for instance. When we removed preservatives Mm -hmm. from artificial sources, we had to refrigerate mayo. You know, good luck changing the procedure of how to store mayo in 15,000 restaurants. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a nightmare. Any small thing, is hard. That was not a small thing, so it took us a long time and cost, you know, to do the things and and develop the right raw materials. And but we believed on it, you know, like it was part of our ESG program. It was part of one of the commitments that we we had made, like at RBI as a company. We knew that we had to improve the quality of our food, and we believe that the food should be real. So it was a long time in the making, and even though it was something so important, we know that people have other things to worry about rather than whether Burger King has ingredients, from artificial sources or not, you know what I mean? Like, so in the grand scheme of things, it's something really big for the brand, but people have their lives and their concerns and their worries, they're thinking about other things. So we knew that we had to shake people out of their status quo to pay attention to the message. There is a a quote from Bill Bernbach that I love. Bill Bernbach is one of the founders of DDB, so he is Mm -hmm. the B of DDB. He used to say something like, if your advertising goes unnoticed, everything else is academic. So I really learned that whatever you do, it should command attention. Yes. And the agency, the first agency that presented the idea was David Miami, and then Ingo who is kind of like we used to work together with David and Ingo, presented a very similar idea, but made an evolution on the idea. And Publicis, which was a total coincidence, also presented a very similar idea, making an evolution on the idea. Those three guys decided to collaborate together, which I think is awesome. Fantastic. And we brought the idea to life, which was Moldy Whopper, which again, it was one of those that like, no matter in which country you were in, you probably got to see the campaign, And I'm very proud of that. I'm proud of Whopper the Tour. I'm proud of Mac Whopper. They were all campaigns that got the world to talk about the brand Burger King. I'm proud of what we did with the Popeye's Chicken Sandwich, mm-hmm. which you probably remember the craziness around that, yes. too. That was more on the product side, I would say, than the campaign itself. But the campaign did do a trigger, too. But the product is just unbelievable what yes. the Popeye's team did. Uh, On that one, on Activision, we did some really cool stuff, too, whether it was for Candy Crush or Call of Duty or even like with the launch of Diablo 4, which happened just recently, Mm -hmm. trying to break the mold and do things that are different than just a trailer of a game. And now it not goes the same. You know what I mean? Like, it's just amazing that we already got some recognition for... For the not work we got a gold line in I know, congratulations. Which is insane. Like, not on my wildest, most optimistic dream. I mean, I felt that we had a chance of getting something. Yes. But getting a gold and a silver and a short list with another idea was just huge for the team. You know, like, we're still a small company. We're still building awareness. Mm-hmm. It's not like Nike or Apple or Burger yeah. King or Dove where... People kind of know where you are coming from with the story of the brand and what the brand is about. In our case, I'm one step behind and the team embraced the challenge spirit of the brand and creativity. And we won a golden silver with a campaign that came from Chile, from MRM. And we were shortlisted with a, with a global campaign that we also did with AKQA Bloom with uh, uh Zamp and zaro were based out of miami at the moment
0: and one of the campaigns you've used ai to create yeah. this so tell me about that experience and also I, I remember we were talking and you said you know last year everybody's talking about the metaverse this year everybody's <laughs> talking about ai and, and is is it really a different conversation or not yes. so tell me first about the use of ai in the campaign yeah and then just you know your perspectives on where we are and whether we should be optimistic or pessimistic or yeah. somewhere in the
1: middle? Those are good questions. It's not a must for Notco to use AI on the campaigns. Mm-hmm. But if there is an opportunity to do so, I think it helps tell the brand story because the brand story is comes from AI. centered on that technology. AI. So in that specific case, the, the, the old animals campaign, which was shortlisted in Cannes, the, the insight that the guys came up with was the fact that when you think about an animal, usually you don't think about an old animal. Right? Because on the food industry, these animals they live a fraction of what their life expectancy would be had they been on the farm. For sure that if, if you lived on a farm, or if you, you probably know what an old animal looks like, or depending on the country you are in, if maybe a little bit less urban, mm-hmm. you also know that. But in general, especially on the city centers that tend to overindex with plant-based. The story is different. Like I cannot see many old cows or pigs or chicken in São Paulo or in New York mm-hmm. or in LA. So we used AI to create those images, right? I mean, which again, it was uh, it was not done for to save cost or do it. It was to kind of like underpin the story and explain that we use AI just like we use AI in our to develop our food. Yeah. So that was what was behind the use of AI uh, uh, on that one. I am Brazilian. Mm-hmm. That's why I have this funny accent. And I'm like- Maybe hope- I'm the one with the funny accent. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like hopeless, optimistic about things. Yes. And because I see AI as a tool and something that helps augment like human capacity, I'm very optimistic about it. Will some people lose their jobs because of AI? Maybe, but like, I don't see the the work being reduced because of AI, you know what I mean? I actually see us doing more uh, because of AI. I will do more assets. I will do more experimentation. I will rapid prototype even faster Mm -hmm. than I used to do before. I may save time on pre-testing. I don't know, you know what I mean? Like, so I don't see us like, oh, it's here to replace people. I don't think so. I think that in the grand scheme of things, it will help us do more. It's not about, for me at least, reducing budgets or reducing people mm-hmm. or And hopefully, if used the right way, it will help us solve problems that we couldn't solve by ourselves, right. whether it's in health or pharma or sustainability or economy, you know what I mean? Like, so I see enormous positive potential for AI. I don't see much as a, as a threat.
0: Is it? surprising to you just to witness all of the anxiety around it is it something that you can think an analogy of from another time or
1: like no like to me it's like negative headlines sell more yeah you know what i mean like uh and the press tends to love a negative headline i'm not saying that we should be irresponsible and not evaluate the potential downsides that AI could, could have. I just think that on the long run it would be more positive than negative. And I think it's human nature to have these debates and especially with something that's so hot. One thing that you touch, I think AI is very different than metaverse mm. as a topic. Yes. You know, like uh, last year it was all about the metaverse, right? Uh, and I remember always I was working on Activision Blizzard getting the question again and again and again about metaverse and this and that. It was such a hot topic. And it it never I never fully understood mm. like uh, why people thought that was a new concept. You know what I mean? Like, especially when it comes to gaming. Like I remember playing Second Life. I'm right. really aging myself here. No, but like that a, was- Or like World of Warcraft, which is kind of like a metaverse in itself. And I saw lots of brands thinking about metaverse and doing work around metaverse that I couldn't see the real utility for the consumer. Mm -hmm. You know, so I remember like someone saying something like, oh, I I want to have my bank on the metaverse. And I I think that's the best example I can think of. Like, Mm. I don't want to go to the bank in the real world. (laughs) You know, why the hell? I want to go to the bank in the metaverse, which should be a time I'm like just having fun or, 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 you know. So there was no real... Utility mm-hmm. in, in most of the use cases, AI is different. Yeah. You know, I can see a tone. It to me is all about utility. Mm-hmm. So that, that's why I don't put, I think that both were hot topics, but, but they're very, very different. Different categories. You know, like uh, one was, I think, a bit of an empty uh, hot topic. The other one is one that we're still trying to figure out, but the utility is very clear.
0: Yeah. You've had you know, a number of really incredible roles as a CMO. I think there's also this ongoing discussion about the changing role of the CMO, the value of the CMO, the tenure of the CMO and how it's, you know, shortening. Mm-hmm. You also earlier said that for you, you know, it's, it's much more than marketing. So I guess sitting where you are today and having experienced what you've experienced, what do you think makes for... A successful CMO, what do you think are the essentials? And how do you want to take this platform that you have now and even push it further?
1: Yeah. So I believe on the the need for a chief marketing or chief brand officer in companies in general. Mm -hmm. You know, like look, I mean everything that I'm saying here is my personal opinion. Yeah. You know, and I know there are people out there that think differently than I do, but I find it weird when companies replace the CMO with a chief growth officer for instance, because like my role is about growth, Mm -hmm. you know, though I do think that you need someone thinking about the brand and being a steward for the brand and carrying that flag and showing where the brand uh, should go. You know, like uh, maybe I I, I see the world through those lenses because as I said, I grew up in marketing in Unilever, Mm -hmm. always looking up to a CMO. And I find it weird when companies that have very strong brands Don't realize that, Mm -hmm. you know, I find it weird when the CMO doesn't report to the CEO, Mm -hmm. you know, it's almost like the brand doesn't have a seat on the table, right, you know, and I find it weird that in most companies, it's almost rare to have a CEO that came from real marketing, Mm -hmm. you know, most of the CEOs, they either did like a general management type of role, or they were the CFO, or they were the COO, which was probably like a general manager type of role before. You know, like I can think of like Kraft Heinz today with Miguel Patricio, who was the CMO for AB InBev before. And then I struggle to think about, I'm sure there are more. I think that the CEO from Impossible Foods also came from agencies slash uh, marketing background, which is great, but there are not so many out there, you know, like, I think it's a missed opportunity. I'm relatively biased on this comment, yes. but like, I think I it's a missed too. opportunity <laughs> uh, uh, for like, the, the brand is the biggest asset, I think, together with the people, obviously, that, mm-hmm. that the companies have, yeah. Yeah. you know what I mean? Like, uh, I go and I buy Dove, like the brand, yes. you know, like, and it's a great product, it cannot be great brand, shitty product, like it's not going to work on the long run. But the brand is very powerful, you know. The CMOs that I admire the most, they become the right-hand arm of the CEO. They do more. They do the stewardship of the brand and they do like develop the right processes and the right culture in the company when it comes to creative and marketing and brand. But they do more, Mm -hmm. you know, like uh, they... And I think that they do more and depends a bit on... What are the interests of that specific person? What are the needs of the company the person is working with? I think that in my case, I'm very passionate about DNI. I am Latin American, so I try to to get involved, and I think it's important on the long run. ESG, DNI, those are all important things to attract, retain talent, to do the right thing for your consumers doing the right thing for people in society, which I think we should be trying Mm -hmm. to do. Life is too short for you not try to do that. And uh, and those are the things that I end up like naturally gravitating towards.
0: Let's talk about diversity, inclusion, belonging, or all the different ways in which it's referred to. I think similarly there had been this groundswell of, you know, discussion around we need to do better and lots of really, I think, important efforts that were made by businesses, but it's not this one and done, and it's not something that's in a silo. Mm -hmm. It's something that has to be integrated into the culture. Tell me about either an initiative or a way of working or a cultural norm that you think is really important for an organization if they want to truly be a place of belonging for yeah. all.
1: Look, I think that you like the answer to that, it's embedded on a couple of things that you said in the question. I don't think there is an end game mm-hmm. when it comes to DNI and inclusion. It's a never-ending thing. you know what I mean? like you will never, reach the ultimate goal, you know? And even if you do, if you create one and you reach that, you need to continue to work because gravity will pull it down, you know what I mean? So to me, it's about understanding that it's a journey and that is like, depending on the industry you are in, it's not going to change from one day to another. And the important thing is to do improvements and keep moving the needle to the right direction in terms of representation, in terms of how people feel, when they are doing that work in terms of like having strong networks, like within the organization, in terms of having representation at the board level at like this C-suite and all those things, Mm -hmm. which I don't know any company that is doing well who considers themselves to be perfect Mm -hmm. on it. Because the key thing is it's a never ending journey.
0: Yeah. There's also, I think Ben, and you mentioned the term, you know, life is short. I think, particularly post COVID, you know, the lot of evaluation of how we are spending our time. And certainly, as a top executive, as well, one working for a pre IPO startup, I'm sure time is very limited. How do you approach balance if it exists? Yeah. And there's just an endless list of priorities. How do you think about this is where I need to spend my time versus here? There's no silver bullet, but would love to yeah. know how you approach that.
1: Yeah, look, I I think that each person has its own optimum work-life balance, and that may change over time, mm-hmm. or may change with the curveballs that life will surely throw at you. Prioritizing is a constant exercise, you know, like and and knowing how to say no to things is a surviving <laughs> mechanism. <laughs> I always try to manage people's expectations when it comes to priorities. I did the mistake of saying yes to everything many times throughout my career, and it doesn't end well, like uh, either for you as a person or, uh, or in terms of the output that you bring to the table. So today, I think I do a much better job—not perfect—in terms of like establishing priorities and saying no to things or. It, not sometimes not even about saying no to things, but like layering things over time. Mm-hmm. It's not all for tomorrow. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like and aligning the expectations with who is on the receiving end of whatever you are working on. We were talking before the interview started. Yes. So I have four kids. Yes. And I try my best to not do any work over the weekends. I try my best to have a cutoff time in terms of the work when I'm working, I'm 100% focused on that. Mm -hmm. And I try my best that when I'm not working, that I'm focused on my kids on my wife. Like, I'm sure that if you talk to her, she will say that that's not true, (laughs) that I have my phone. Well, we have her
0: here, we're gonna bring her out. Yes, (laughs)
1: like uh, that I have my phone uh, all the time, like uh, open. Which is true.
0: But where your center of gravity is, is more yes. with family when you're with family.
1: Yes. I think more important than work-life balance is like being present. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If you're doing the work, focus on that. Get it done. Close the books. Go to the next thing. You are with your family. <laughs> focus on being there. Be present there. Yes. Like some people, like, it's not just about the time. You know, of course the time matters. Yes. But being present, I think, is Even more important.
0: And how you use the time or you engage with the time. Yeah. So before you go off into space, let's say (laughs) a year from now we're sitting down, what do you hope you can say about where NotCo as a brand
1: is? I think that a year from now, I would hope that if we sit together, you will look at me and say, like, how the hell did you guys do all that? Mm on a budget, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, how did you make everyone talk about the brand and know the products, and the brand became so hot and so cool, knowing that it still is a relatively small business because it's a startup. You can't compare our size with Unilever or Kraft Heinz, or, you know, but that's, to me, is like the challenge of proving the point that creativity can be a source of competitive Mm -hmm. advantage no matter what size you have. Yeah. You know, and just the fact that we already get some recognition in terms of uh, the creative we are doing and that the business is doing well, yes. even though there are it's a challenging category that has its ups and downs, I think that those to me are the most critical things. Yeah. You know, and I love to be on a place that I feel we all share the same creative ambition from the co-founders, the marketing team. The general managers we all want to make the brand famous and and showcase to people how great the products are in a creative way yeah so i hope that I year from now is like oh my god like where did you find the money to do all this yes and and it was not about the money
0: right you right. know what
1: i mean it was more about the idea
0: that's amazing well last question before i let you go on to what i'm sure is a whirlwind day who is your icon
1: to me, it's hard to name one person, mm-hmm. you know? I think that my career and my personality, they were so shaped by different people. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think that the fact that I grew up in Brazil, moving around, my dad was born in the Amazon. My mom was born in Bahia, which is the northeast of Brazil. I lived everywhere in Brazil because my dad was in the army and we had to move around. Then growing up, I moved out of Brazil, I did an MBA in Europe, then went to New York, went to Mexico, went to London. Now I'm in Miami. My clay was molded by lots of like uh, people, different places, people. places,
0: experiences. You know, like yeah. uh, if I
1: think about Unilever, I think Simon Clift and Steve Miles had a huge impact. If I think about the agency side, so many people like Emma Cookson, who was a strategic planner when I met her uh, at BBH New York, to Anselmo Ramos who still is like a great partner in crime, Gaston, Bijo, Pancho, Gus, La- Lauria. Like, it's like endless, mm-hmm. you know, like the number of people who I try to surround myself with and always inspire me to to try to do better things. Yeah. You know, my teams, like family-wise, my mom, my dad, my wife who can tolerate me, <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Like, a, it's really like, a a broad network of people that, without whom, Mm. I wouldn't be who I am, either at work or in my personal life.
0: Well, I think that's a good answer. Fernando, thank you so much for, for sitting with me today. I think the things I'm taking away are about continually learning, staying humble, staying present, Having some fun while we're doing it and being ambitious. You're amazing. You are an icon. (laughs) I can't wait to see what you're doing at NACO and beyond.
1: Anytime. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure to talk.
0: Thanks for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, share with your colleagues and friends and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And if you're feeling really generous, leave us a five-star rating. Thanks, and I'll see you next time.